I think so many franchises around baseball have admired about the A's for years is Billy Bean and Bob Melvin are about as symbiotic of a pair as you can get from a front office to a dugout. And so, you know, the room for air may not be big in Oakland, but you've also got the type of relationship there where it's something that so many organizations strive for and they just don't achieve. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Straight A's. Today, I'm joined by Giants beat writer Kerry Crowley. We recap the Bay Bridge series, discuss similarities between the A's and Giants, and ponder the possibility of a Cross Bay World Series. With that, here's Carrie. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Straight A's. I am joined by Carrie Crowley, the San Francisco Giants beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, my colleague. Thank you for joining me, Carrie. Really glad to be here, Shana. Looking forward to my Straight A's debut. I love the name <laughs> of this podcast, and uh, you've had some big-time guests, so it's, it's nice to be included here. You're a big time guest. This is this I, is the this is the big not. time. <laughs> definitely not. Chris Bassett's been on here. A number of A's pitchers have been on here. I, I am not. I am not big time. But I will give my best. I think that um, I think that everyone is going to be excited. To, I mean, you have a you have a radio presence. You have a voice presence, <laughs> and I'm trying to match it right now. So like, I might get. I might. I, I have to. We'll see how that goes with my with my tone. But uh, I, I promise I won't get too riled up. Um, I wanted to ask you about now that we've seen the A's and Giants um, officially match up um, and uh, at, at a full capacity Oracle Park, which was um, just personally for me, uh, it was a cathartic experience. It was nice to, even though, you know, I cover the A's and a lot of the cheers were, you know, at the A's expense, obviously. It was just, it was, it felt like the loudest crowd I have experienced uh, in years. Like I haven't, I haven't uh, felt anything like that in a while. And I, I, I want to know uh, what have been your impressions of um, not the full capacity, but just the excitement around this Giants team. Yeah. Um, and and uh, are they for real? They won 50 games. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you win 50 games in the first half, you're for real. And, and I can get into that. But what I want to say is, while I was not at Oracle Park this weekend for the games, I tend to, when I'm off, and this is a really bad tendency of mine, I tend to follow the team even closer than when I'm on. Like, I'll spend the first few innings of a game, you know, writing a little bit or, you know, walking around the stadium to, you know, check out the pulse of the crowd and and see what it's like. But when I'm off work, I really don't miss a Giants game. And I didn't miss the games this weekend. I was tuned in, locked in. Uh, and, and I tend to, I guess, analyze the game in, in a better, more clear sense when I'm away. And what just stood out to me so much was how much the, the Giants and the A's, even as a road team, enjoyed playing in front of that crowd. I mean, you could tell that it felt like high stakes baseball, not necessarily playoff baseball, not necessarily October baseball, but late September where there's something on the line. These guys are really jacked up to be in front of home crowds. You know, you heard Kurt Casale say after the game that, People say all the time that it, there's a good crowd. You know, it was nice to hear the fans, but on Saturday he really meant it, and there was just a different energy in the stadium. The city's been back, the city is back, and back. Oracle Park is going to be a destination to be this summer because, for as far as I'm concerned, the Giants are back right now. They have a really talented team. It's a team that's been slump-proof so far, only one three-game losing streak this season, and. I just think that, you know, when you win 50 in the first half, as the Giants have done 50 and 27 when we're recording this podcast, uh, I think that there's a lot to be said about the depth, the different strengths they've shown, the different types of ways that they can win games. And it's been really interesting because I don't think any of us saw this coming. 
Something that Matt Chapman said after uh, the walk-off, the Giants walk-off, which was a a pretty brutal, one of the more brutal losses for the A's just in terms of the uh, vibe of it because, you know, they they took the lead and, um, you know, they had Burke Smith out there and he's not had the best season, but it it just – it. it had the playoff feel and, and we asked him, you know, how, how did it feel to lose in, in that way, which is not a great question, but you know, he's a, he's a thoughtful guy. And, and, um, and he was saying that there are a lot of similarities between the Giants team that he noticed and the A's and who the A's have been for the last few years, which is that they capitalize on opportunities and like a lot of, a lot of uh, a lot of analysis when it comes to ranking teams, they look at run differential, and mm-hmm. the A's their run differential was never for a while it was below uh, zero because the games that they were winning and all, it had to do with the losing streak too, but the games that they were winning um, was by slim margins, you know, a couple walk offs, one or two runs because they even though they weren't at their best, they were capitalizing on the right opportunities they were grinding out the best possible at bats at the at the most crucial moments and you know even if and you know they they, they're good at capitalizing on on opportunities that's my main thesis but is that something that you are noticing about the similarities between both teams yeah and and I think that it's a really good point and and you've just brought this up to me that the Giants being similar to the A's of maybe 18 19 and 20 really strikes me because those A's teams didn't have like standout outstanding homegrown or not homegrown, but like name brand talent, like you see in, in, you know, major cities across baseball where you, you know, you've got a team like the angels. It's got Mike Trout, Shohei Otani can't miss players. What the A's just had was a really solid roster and up and down were very few weaknesses. And so with a team like that, you could always exploit the opponent's weakness. And this year, that's what we've seen the Giants do. And I would say that at times this season, the A's bullpen has been a weakness. The Giants exploited it on Saturday night because that's what they've done all season. They've just gone up against a, a you know long list of decent teams or bad teams and found a way to come through against a team like the Phillies. Can't catch the ball. The Giants capitalize on errors. A team like you know, the Cincinnati Reds uh, were walking guys. The Giants took their walks. They had long at-bats like the A's the past few years have had. And so it's really interesting to make that comparison because I think that Farhan Zaidi really does build his team in the way that Billy Bean builds his team. And, you know, not necessarily from the money ball saving uh, every last dollar perspective that the A's are forced to deal with because of their owner. But I, I do think that the Giants value complementary talent. And they look at their roster from a standpoint of, hey, if we've got these three players under contract in the next few years, who can we bring in to surround them with that are going to make them better? You know, we've got a pitching staff that gets a ton of ground balls. Okay, go out and get a bunch of infielders who field really well. Go out and get outfielders who can track down line drives. And maybe, you know, they're not all hitting home runs, although this season the Giants have, but they're contributing in different ways that don't necessarily show up in the box score. And that's what always struck me about those really good A's teams the past few years. Yeah, that's – not to get too granular, but that's something that I noticed about um, in certain situations when Brandon Crawford wasn't in the infield about maybe how the A's eventually approached the series, which is, okay, it's a little blustery at Oracle Park. Um, why not try to exploit the, the Giants infield defense a little bit? And I don't, I'm, I don't think that there were uh, too many errors that led to uh, them scoring all those runs, but they scored six in that final game without 
an extra base hit. So I think that at a certain point they were like, well, as long as we start making contact, you know, Matt Olson doesn't have to go yard, doesn't have to show out. He can sort of do his thing and make contact and same with Matt Chapman and, and up and down the lineup. But, uh, and just from, from what I've seen, it seems like the infield defense is for the Giants is not as strong as it has been in the past. And that, that seems like something that from, in terms of working in the margins is something that eventually they, they got to do mm-hmm. in the, in the latter part. Um, do you see any other similarities between the, the, the Giants and, and the A's? Or is, do you see, like, the, the roster, the way that the roster is, is built and maybe churned a little bit? Do you see similarities there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the main similarities, I think, now that I'm, I'm kind of processing this comparison that I see is the A's have always been able to maximize their talent. You know, some, some guys come to Oakland, like, let's say, Marcus Simmons and Chris Bassett, who came over in the same trade they weren't necessarily going to be great major leaguers with the track record that they had early in their careers. But the A's figured out ways to unlock their potential. And of course, so much credit goes to the players and they were able to make the most of the coaching points and make the most of their evaluations. You know, you go back to Marcus Simeon working with Ron Washington in Oakland on all of the errors that he made and how he got so much better defensively. I think the Giants have coached up their players really well under Gabe Kapler and they're in a situation where they're maximizing their potential. You look at Kevin Gossman, he's always had an incredible amount of talent. He's just never been able to realize it. He was like the fourth overall draft pick coming out of LSU, but was a middling pitcher for much of his career in Baltimore and Atlanta, Cincinnati. And the Giants just took what he did best, which is throw the splitter and said, go do that. And I think that that's something that the A's have figured out. And I don't want to say it's like a market inefficiency to, uh, you know, help players be at their very best based on what they do best. But by having a complimentary roster and coaching, uh, coaching points that allow players to realize what they can make the most of, it, it really adds to you know, the overall, I guess, depth, well-roundedness of the team. Those are some of the words that come to mind. And when you have something like that, you've got a recipe for success that you can follow on any given night. And you've got players who are really, really confident. And that's what the A's have always seemed to have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's day and night with the Giants. Like just a few years ago, I can't, they were, everyone was so concerned about who's um, Connor Joe and Michael Reed in the outfield. And then, <laughs> and then now they've cycled through all of these, you know, the, the pro, Farhan's process is very similar to, um, to Billy Bean and David Forrest's process, which is we're going to, and he, he just had to do it kind of very publicly and, and, and quickly and, and sort of with a little bit of scrutiny, which is like, we need to go through some unpolished gems here and polish them out. And then you guys are going to see the kind of depth that I need to have here to show you uh, what kind of talent we can uncover. So I think that's just from an outsider's perspective, it's been fun to see the Giants sort of follow in, in the ace footsteps in terms of that process. Um, and it, and I think what A's might notice too, what A's fans might notice too, is that the Giants have been able to ex- expedite the process a little bit. Uh, like this year, I don't think that anyone expected this from the Giants at this no. point. And something that I've talked to some people about, and and I, this is strictly an A's from an A's perspective, but um, it seems like with a lot of resources, with the coaching staff that the Giants have. Uh, they've been able to get quickly out of every player and get the re- get the information to all the players what works best in in 
this new ideology and philosophy. Um, and Kevin Gausman is an example of that. I think Brandon Crawford is an example of that yeah. too. He's was initially skeptical of the coaching staff and, you know, Oh, I'm going to not play every day. What, what are you talking about? Why not? I've been here for years, but once he saw the results of what he was being coached uh, to do that now he, he lives by it. And I think that that's, that's sort of a, a fascinating, um, development in terms of what's going on internally with the Giants. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's a great point when you talk about the Giants being able to capitalize on all these improvements at the same time and do it really quickly. So much of this has to do with the organizational philosophy that Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler have brought in over the last two seasons, which is have pitchers that throw strikes, have hitters who only swing at strikes, and play clean fundamental baseball. And it sounds really, really easy. And the Giants had a very tough time doing it in 2019 in Farhan's first season with Bruce Boshi at the helm. And they had, you know, they made improvements over the second half of the 2020 season, but out of the gates, they were terrible. They were eight and 16 last year. They couldn't catch the ball. Their hitters were out of sorts at the plate and their pitchers were walking too many batters. And now you look at this team and everyone is completely bought in in what's taking place at an organizational level. You know, the coaching staff, to their credit, and the players, to their credit, not everyone's getting the same information. You know, some players, like Evan Longoria, before he got hurt, he preferred less information. Some players prefer more information. And I think that it's finding the balance there and figuring out what analytics can help certain players, what coaching points can help certain players. It's all really important. And so it's that philosophy from the top down where everyone's bought in. And that's something that I think so many franchises around baseball have admired about the A's for years is Billy Bean and Bob Melvin are about as symbiotic of a pair as you can get from a front office to a dugout. And so, you know, the room for air may not be big in Oakland, but you've also got the type of relationship there where it's something that so many organizations strive for and they just don't achieve. And I think that yeah. the Giants in Farhan and Gabe have that pairing that they've achieved. Yeah, the, the sim, symbiosis, is that the word? The symbiosis of... Yeah. Uh, it's something like that. Yeah, that all sounds we, All we do is right. We don't yeah. need to pronounce it. I don't... <laughs> I find myself trying to pronounce things, and I'm like, I've never actually said this out loud. So, yeah. you know, you, where you write words or, or names out, and then you don't know what you're saying, if it's pronounced right, because you've only written it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it happens to me. Love that. Basically, Love that. every day. And uh, I'm sure that I use words wrong all the time. Or like that, at least that's what our editors tell me. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, another thing that I, and you can tell me if I'm off on this, cause it's just, um, on a, a few games, but it seemed like, well, the A's tossed out two left-handed starters. They had Sean Manaya and Cole Irvin, and it seemed like that was, um, lucky. I mean, the, the Manaya game didn't go the A's way, but it seemed like that was sort of a, a good, um, uh, a good matchup for the A's uh, because the, the Giants seemed a little bit at a disadvantage against left-handed pitching. Is that something that, that you've noticed about the team? Yeah, for sure. And you look at their OPS against lefties and their OPS against righties, and it's basically indistinguishable at this point in the season, but that's a 77 game sample size or so. You look at what they've done in the past month against lefties and it hasn't been very pretty. Evan Longoria was their lefty killer. He's been out of the lineup that's really hurt the Giants. Austin mm. Slater, he's in this team, in this roster to hit lefties, and he went four for 36 uh, you know, in the month of June leading into Monday's game in Los Angeles. And then uh, Mauricio Dubon, who's kind of a, a solution against lefties, he's got a 272 OBP this year. And so you're looking at a team that's better equipped to hit righties right now because 
Stephen Duggar, Lamont Wade Jr., guys who weren't really expected to be big contributors, they have been against right-handed pitchers. They've given the Giants that extra layer of depth that they haven't necessarily had against left-handed pitchers. And so getting Evan Longoria back at some point in late July is going to be huge for the Giants. That's going to be viewed as like the trade up trade deadline upgrade. But at the same time, I think that if they want to get serious about hitting someone uh, in the postseason, like a Blake Snell, if they were to have a three-game series or a five-game series against the Padres, and who knows how things will shake out, uh, but you, you need to have more righty weapons in your lineup. And I think the Giants will very seriously look at upgrading their roster in that department over the coming month. Yeah, I'm surprised that we haven't seen – I mean, Farron's kind of taking a breather there. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> the roster moves – I mean, the waiver claims have really slowed down. I know. I was, like, enjoying not knowing what was next. It was just a, it was just a spinning wheel of, of transactions, and now he's like, all right, I'm going to take a pause, let this simmer. <laughs> We're going to enjoy this, this, this roster. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, there, there'll be some moves for sure. And, and from the A's perspective, I mean, we saw it, um, we saw it in the series. The, bullpens, the, the mistakes are magnified, I feel like, especially in extra innings when there's a runner on second and you can't really – that's not your fault. <laughs> it just kind of sucks. You have to deal with it. So it's, I think that uh, there's a lot of outrage after the um, – after the extra inning loss about how incompetent the bullpen is and they need to upgrade. I think that the A's bullpen is not that incompetent. I think that um, they've dealt with some injuries. They don't have Trevor Rosenthal. Uh, they haven't had him at all. They're going to get him back in August, which or they are expecting to get him back at, at least August, which would could um, really maybe shift things for them in terms of their depth pitching wise. And uh, they didn't have J.B. Wendelkin. They're a little bit knocked down there, but they, I fully expect them to get some, some bullpen um, uh, support at least before the deadline. And, and we'll see if they get one or two or what they do and, and how it'll go down. The A's trades are always very unpredictable. Yeah. Um, and I, I always, I'm always trying to be like, what? everyone's like, which, which uh, expiring contracts do you expect them to go after? I'm like, I don't think that you have to narrow it down to that. It could be literally be anything. Like, yeah. it's hard to predict what they're going to do. Exactly. One um, thing that I would just add really quickly to that point, you talk about the A's bullpen woes, and I would just say that my hot take on this, this subject, and I learned this last year when the Giants had the second best ERA in baseball for their relievers over the last 30 games of the season, 90% of fans hate their bullpen, regardless <laughs> of what team you're, you're rooting for. 80% of fans hate their manager. And so when you've got a combination of a manager who makes a bad bullpen decision on a certain day, your team isn't necessarily doing well. Oh man, social media is going to blow up like none other. The cleanup hitter and the number five hitter could combine to go 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts. And the reliever who gave up two hits in one run will still bear the brunt of the anger. Yeah, that's, it's something that you have to learn, I guess, when you're on Twitter or just in everyday, you know, reacting to things is, um, People get mad in the moment and no one ever likes their bullpen after they blow anything. <laughs> yes. They could give up one run and it'd be like, that's, this is the worst bullpen I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I think 90% is the scientific. It could be 90% is a scientific um, number of how many fan bases hate their bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sticking to that number. Yeah. Until, until otherwise shown. It's either going up or it's not. 90% yeah. is the baseline. <laughs> 20, I think that's 27 out of 30 teams. That yeah. I'm trying to think of I think the, the Yankees, I think, like their bullpen. No, I think the Rays fans might like Oh, their yeah. Bullpen, if they're out there. If, they're, if Rays fans are out there. Rays like fans. Yeah. Rays fans love their bullpen. <laughs> they're so happy to have them. 
I yeah. mean, yeah, I, was, I just watched the Yankees and I don't think the Yankees are fans are happy with anything that's going on right now. No. So I don't think that I can pin any emotion that is positive to that fan base, but I think <laughs> that they should generally be okay with the bullpen, but I know that it won one mess up and it's like, this is a disaster. Yeah. Um, we'll end it on one, uh, one little thought nugget. Could we see a, um, a, uh, Bay bridge world series? I, I got the, the sports talk. Topic yes. for you. <laughs> this is this is the ultimate sports talk topic yeah. <laughs> and i mean could we see it absolutely if bo- both these teams look like they're going to be in the postseason or at least be in the postseason race and once you get there i mean it's it's anyone's guess as to how things unfold both of these teams have very limited weaknesses there's both easy upgrades they can make at the deadline they could really make them solid and, and kind of battleproof for the postseason i think that it would be so awesome more so like more so than anything else, how cool would it be to see 1989 all over again with the world intact and, and nothing registering on the Richter scale for yeah. the Giants? We already and got A's. the disaster yeah. almost out of the way, so uh, yeah. Let's see the Bay Area at at full strength, watching these teams together in the postseason. I think that it would be just incredible for for this for this region and for this state and for for these two franchises. So yeah, I'm not going to root against it. But, not going to yeah. root against it. Not going to root against it happening. The yeah. travel would be ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, except for like the travel. I mean, I, that's actually I mean, kind of a, I'd, I don't I'd know. Be, I'd be on the Shohei Otani travel, travel schedule yeah. between the two cities. I'd, I'd be on BART. So. <laughs> that was my favorite thing that happened. Best like, thing that's happened this season. There Best was, thing that's happened this season. There was just like, we had heard that he got stuck in traffic and and then all of a sudden it went to he got lost on bottles. I know exactly what happened. I like <laughs> you could live here your whole life and still get lost on Bart or take the yeah. wrong train. So I'm first of all I want to know why they had to take Bart in the first place, like just by themselves. I mean that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But <laughs> now we you can go on for an hour on this yeah. subject. I really want to talk to Shohei about Bart though. I feel like yes. he would engage me in a conversation about public transportation because he's such a nice dude. Yeah, from, I'd, be, I'd be all like for it. it. I'd, I, would, I would pay for that. I, I would pay to look. <laughs> I'll get Shohei on the pod to talk about Mark. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining, Carrie. I really appreciate you stopping by. You, you, you're just back from Montana. You were watching pig racing, and now you're on straight A's. So what, what a yeah. life. <laughs> this, is, this is the dream, as they say. So thank you so much for having me, Shana. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Carrie Crowley for joining the show. You can follow my A's coverage all season long at San Jose Mercury News and on Twitter at Shana Rubin. Till next time.